You know, Paul has given us an album right here in this chapter, chapter 2. He has lots of pictures in this album of 2 Timothy chapter 2. And what's so cool about it is he's not only given us the pictures, but he actually explains the pictures. He gives us what's going on, how, why he uses that picture. So today, I thought what I would do in our short time together before you get together around the word and go into specifics, that I would look at seven pictures today, okay? Seven pictures from this particular chapter. So as we look at it, as we begin to, to look at the first one, you might not have seen this as, as uh, obvious as the other ones, but the first one is looking at verses um, 1 and 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You know, the picture there is of a steward. Do you know a steward is one who actually manages and administrates somebody else's property? What we're talking about here is he's telling Timothy, you are a steward of the truth. You are a steward of the gospel, of what has been given to you. And we talked last week, if you remember, uh, he used to guard it. And we know that in light of the incredible amount of false teaching that was they were surrounded with, they were coming from within and without, there was a need to really guard the gospel. And now Paul is saying, you are also a steward. You need to, you have been entrusted with the truth, and now you need to entrust it to faithful, and in the Greek, men and women, to faithful men and women who will then in turn entrust it to others. It is discipleship here. This is the key to the, the whole point, when you are passing on the truth, the gospel, to your children or to your grandchildren or to, ever, um, to whomever the Lord brings into your area of influence, part of your entrusting it to them is also encouraging them to share it as well with their friends, with others. It's the ultimate pay it forward. <laughs> you, you, and that is what Paul is saying. If you want this this is part of, of the beginning of the church, right? Sustainability means you keep passing it on, and we're here today because that gospel has been entrusted to others and it was passed on then to us. Next picture, much more clear. It's right here. It says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Paul, naturally, he uses the picture of soldiers quite a bit. And, of course, he lives in a military state with the Roman rule, and Paul himself has been in prison a lot, <laughs> so he knows soldiers. And it's interesting, the picture that he gives of the soldier. The soldier, and the picture for us, as he sets forth our call to not only service, but to suffering, he says it's a hard job. There's hardship involved. But he says the soldier has eyes for only one, the one who enlisted him. Who enlisted us? Jesus Christ. We have been enlisted into the army of God, if you will, but he says keep your eyes on him. Seek to please only him. To get our eyes off of Jesus. I was thinking of the song that Pastor Chris uh, shared with us today. You know, look into his eyes. See his love for you. You won't see that love if you're not looking at him. 
My little grandson is three, and he probably learned this from his mom, <laughs> but he's the one when I'm going to, when he wants me to really listen to him, he takes my face <laughs> and puts it, turns it so I'm looking right into his eyes. And like I said, probably got that from mom, but whatever, it's that sense that, have you ever felt sometimes that was the Lord doing that for you, saying, look at me, <laughs> listen to what I'm saying. I know that as women, this is one of the things that we get entangled up with. You know, you can't be entangled in politics. I don't know if that's our big deal. You can get entangled in the American dream. Maybe, maybe not our deal. What we get entangled with is pleasing others. We have probably created our own monsters, but we have not only little people, but we have big people around us that seem convinced it's up to us to make them happy. <laughs> it's just not true. That is their choice and their journey. And it's very easy for us as women, as nurturers and caregivers, to want to make everybody happy around us and to work so hard that, that oftentimes what happens is our eyes shift off of the Lord and onto others. And we get entangled up and we lose our joy and we lose our perspective. I want to add that when it comes to pleasing the Lord, you have been, um, you are already pleasing to him by virtue of having become a Christian. There's no more condemnation. You're accepted in the beloved. You are adopted. You do please him just by virtue of being in Christ. Your faith, that first step of faith, without faith, it's impossible to please him. That first step of faith that he enabled you to take, pleases him. So when we talk about pleasing God now, it's not to earn his favor. It's not to earn our way through. It's a result of loving him. And you can think about just your relationships that you have with, with those whom you love. You want to please them, not because you're afraid, but because you love them. And it's that kind of relationship that Paul is talking about, pleasing him because you, he's so in love with him. That's the call in our life with this picture. Now, the next picture is the athlete. And it says, no soldier carried on after a soldier, verse 5. And an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, all of us have read about, seen, heard the tragic stories of our Olympic athletes who so great. They win the race, They've, they're the fastest, they're the best at what they do, but they broke a rule along the way. Could have been steroids, could have been moving into another lane, whatever it is, we all know the stories, where they become disqualified because they didn't stay within the parameters. And yes, our Bible is not a rule book, but the Word of God does give us parameters to be working within, very clear ones, and to cross over those parameters is to disqualify us, especially if we're in service. Um, I heard just a heartbreaking story the other day from uh, one of our missionaries in um, another land, but he has been entrusting the gospel to, there were three couples that were serving with them in the church, and they were the, um, that was his job, more to be a support role and equipping them, encouraging them, and for two years they worked together, and they were pouring into them, and he just told me the other day, he said, well, we had to let three go. I said, what? And he said, 
One was ended up abusing his wife, another one was doing online gambling, and another one there was immorality. And he said, it just broke our hearts, but they were disqualified from their service there. Did they lose their salvation? No. Is their journey over? No. <laughs> God has his ways of continuing to grow us, and we'll talk about that later. But in terms of us to be competing for in this race and doing our best and pleasing him, we need to be obedient. That's the, that's the lesson here for the athlete. Now, the next picture is the one of the farmer. Now, we have like one line for this, right? It's this a real quick little one. It's the hardworking farmer who ha ought to have the first share of crops. I just heard this is a true story. Man was telling me, he lives in the Midwest, that a young boy just graduated from high school, needed a job, so he went to a big GM company out there. And he said, he put in his application, it was a place where you could still put a <laughs> physical application in, and he said it was, it was so terrible because he said there was like hundreds and hundreds of people applying for positions. And he had no education apart from high school and he thought, oh, I don't know. He'd just grown up on the farm, just worked hard his whole life in that way, but needed the job. So he didn't expect anything. The next day, he gets called in for an interview and he was shocked. So he walks in and, and the man looked at him and he said, so I see by your resume that you grew up on the farm. He said, are you a farmer? And he said, yeah. He said, my dad's a farmer, and I pretty well farmed with him. And he said, well, we got it from the top boss that all farmers get top priority. And he said, we know that by virtue of you growing up in the farm, you're a hard worker, you're committed for the long haul, and you're very resourceful when things don't always just pan out the way you expect. <laughs> and he said, you've got the job if you want it. Isn't that amazing? But don't those characteristics ring true? And that particular management recognized those qualities as something that they would look for. And these are the qualities that are true to a farmer. The farmer, I like the way um, one person put it. I, it was kind of cool. He said, farmers are a picture of patient waiting for the later blessing for their hard work. Remember the parable of the sower and the seed? The effectiveness, of course, of the seed, which was the word of God, was the, the heart, which you don't have any control over. In other words, whoever is receiving it. But the, the call on us as Christians is to get that seed out is to, and let the Lord do with it what he wants. But you know, it's that hardworking farmer that you see. And there's the zealousness that um, Paul sees in a farmer. Those are characteristics you want to see in your life as you serve. Now, the next picture he gives is verses 15 to 18. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The worker that is approved, and that's your picture, the workman, is one who rightly and correctly handles the word of God. So he's saying, in as you see yourself as a workman handling the word of God, it's a tool by which people are, you know, that we hear later as we'll come to it, I'm thinking that it might be 2 Timothy 3.16. Yeah, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, 
for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So the, the word itself is a tool that God uses in our life. So the workman has to handle it correctly. Now there's two words I want you to think about. And you'll hear about this, and you maybe have heard it before in your Bible study. And one is called exogesis, and the other one is called isogesis. Now, exogesis, just to get my, my definition right to you right here, it's the process of drawing out the meaning from a text in accordance with its context and whatever other discoverable means the author has. So you're going to be looking at the Greek and the Hebrew, but you're going to be drawing out what the author intended. So you're looking at it, key part is look at it in the context of everything else, as well as your, uh, the, knowledge, the full knowledge of the word of God. That's exegesis, drawing out. Isogesis is where we read into the passage what we think it says. So if we read into scripture to support our own agenda or bias, that's not using the word correctly. And you probably have all heard people take scriptures and things like that out of context. Um, I, I heard one today. A pastor, I guess it might have been from a few years ago, but he was trying to convince his congregation that television was not biblical, that they, people shouldn't watch television. Now, I don't know if he was telling a joke or not, but what he did was he went to the Mount of Transfiguration, to that passage there, where Jesus was up there with the three disciples, and as they were coming down, what did Jesus say? Tell the vision to none. <laughs> I'm sure he must have been kidding. But nevertheless, we've seen others do things much more seriously, where, um, where they have taken scripture out of context to try to support their own bias or an agenda. That is what we call isogesis. We don't want to do that. You know, there's a whole study called hermeneutics, which is the proper study of, of the scriptures. And there's principles that you can learn and go by to, to study the word correctly. And we don't have time to do that and to cover that now, but I'd really encourage you, if you'd like to pursue that a little bit more and find out what kind of tools you can use to do good exegesis, talk to any of the pastors here, talk to your leaders, and we can do some follow up with you and at least begin to give you some good tools that you can use and not necessarily be dependent always on just someone else telling you. The most important thing that you have done is you've put yourself in a good solid church where the teaching is exegetical and not eisegesis. So that's huge. The next picture that we have is that of the vessel. It's beautiful. It's just like, you know, Pastor Chris said today about we are broken vessels indeed. But we are his vessels, and there's a call here to be honorable vessels for the Lord, which means being pure. You know, when you think about a vessel, and if his light is what's shining through us, his hope, his word, it's all him inside of us, right? That's what's making the difference. If that's coming out, you don't want a spotted vessel that would block the light at all, right? And that's the call here. To put aside the dishonorable in this context is probably putting aside the false teaching and the false teachers. But he said, for you to carry his light and his love, don't let immorality um, impede what he wants to do. As we walk with the Lord, let's grow in holiness. And that's kind of where he goes, if you see that. He says, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Let him... 
fill you, but you need to also be intentional about being holy, at least walking in holiness. Again, you have been set aside. God has given you his righteousness, so there is a holiness there that he sees you, but he calls us to walk in holiness. And, and quite frankly, he goes very practically to the next verse. So flee youthful passions for, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with all those who love the Lord, who call on the Lord. I, I like um, the youthful passions. Of course, we immediately think, oh, sexuality. But again, in this context, where we see very quarrelsome, very argumentative people in this church and in this context with the false teachers, some youthful passions could also be seen as hot-headed arguments, right? <laughs> Generally see that with, our, with the younger ones. But he's saying, get away from that. Flee that, but together with other believers who call on the Lord, pursue together righteousness, faith, love, and peace. He's going on to say, don't have anything to do with the foolish and ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. This was obviously, it's coming up, isn't it, almost in every chapter. This must have been quite an issue there. And unfortunately, um, you might have some men who probably were very knowledgeable and had a lot of uh, persuasiveness in their arguments. And it was, it was confusing to people, and it was pulling them away. And he said, no, flee that. Be those honorable vessels that pursue righteousness and holiness and faith and love. And then this last one he gives is that of the servant. He says, 24 and 25, he says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. You know, we thought the vessel had a lot of, um, seemed to have interaction with other Christians and holiness and walking, you know, stepping away from that which is dishonorable. But here, the servant, it's almost a call now out to everyone, to those who don't know the Lord. And quite frankly, I think we've already discovered that those false teachers would be those who don't know the Lord, right? So even in having to deal, Timothy has been told, Paul says, deal hard, I mean, not harshly, but, you know, call out the lies and the disobedience of the false teachers. But don't get mean in it. Don't, when you are having to oppose or, or correct those who oppose the truth, he's saying, be gentle. He said, patiently enduring and be gentle in your response. So hard not to get pulled into an argument and it becomes, you know, back and forth and anger picks up and pretty soon you're being as mean-spirited as they are. And that's the call. He said, don't, don't go there. Don't pick up the mud that's been thrown at you and throw it back because then your hands are dirty too. <laughs> no, he's saying, be gentle. We are, gen we are to, be, uh, to gently instruct those who oppose the truth. With what hope? That there would be repentance. That there would be, you know, at one point with all of these pictures, do you remember earlier when um, Paul said, he said, I want you to think over what I say. This is verse 7. 
For I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So as you gently, and not get pulled into a mean, loud argument, gently continue to hold the truth before, standing firm in it, but being kind. The Lord, remember the word has power inherent in it. It is the word of God that will reach in and stay with somebody, maybe even when they go to bed at night, and it's the word that will come back. Not your argument, but the word of God will come back, and the Lord will use that to bring people, and do you see that phrase that was used, that they might come to their senses. Can you think of any other scripture where that little phrase, come to your senses, or come to their senses, was used? Back in Luke 15, in the parable of the prodigal son. There are actually two prodigal sons in that parable. <laughs> they both needed to come to the Lord in humility. But you know, it was that when he was with the pig, out in the pig pen, that the scripture says, and when he came to his senses. When we are walking in direct opposition to the Lord, as non-believers, for sure, there's the blindness, but even as Christians who walk away from God, there is a place of unreasonableness in us. We're not thinking clearly. There's a fog. We're not seeing things clearly. God is the one who lifts the veil. God is the one who can give understanding. So we pray, right? We pray. We pray for our prodigals. We pray for people who are just, there seems to be such a blindness. And don't get angry. Get on our knees. And we pray that the Lord, he did it with us, right? At some point, he lifted a veil, and we saw clearly ourselves and him. We saw his love. That's the call here for the servant, to not only um, be able to stand strong with the truth, but to be gentle, to be persuasive with love. And let, let's see what God's going to do with this. It's also interesting to see, as you look at that, that there is a snare of the devil having been captured to do as well. I was talking with a missionary. They'd worked 15 years in the um, maximum prison in the Philippines with the uh, inmates there. Many of them had gone, prison fellowship had started a seminary there. So many had gone to the seminary. They, um, they got saved, went to seminary, became pastors, and they have churches in this huge prison, churches all over. Churches that still have splits. I, I don't get that, but <laughs> I do get that. It's called people. But bottom line is that that was their work, and it was intense. There was a lot of spiritual warfare. Well, now this couple has moved in their 70s to a new mission field, and it's in Panama. And they're in a little area where it's full of expatriates. They're from um, U.S. and from Canada and from Europe. And there are all of these people that are there, and they are hard as nails. They are avowed atheists. They're disconnected from their family. They're bitter. They have money. But they're terribly alone. And she was saying, this is such a harder field than when we were in the Philippines. And I said, you're still doing prison work, Joni. <laughs> it's a different prison. The thing that's hard about this prison is that whereas your prisoners knew they blew it and knew they had a need, these prisoners of Satan in Panama don't know they have a need. 
So they're working hard just to build relationship, become safe, kindly and gently uh, present the truth when the lies come at. So anyways, it's just, I, I love this particular passage. I knew when we came to this chapter and I looked through it, I went, oh my goodness, there could be like 20 sermons out of this chapter alone. <laughs> it's so rich. And I knew we only had this little bit of time. So I didn't want to, um, to spoil your, your study time around the word. I knew that, that you would have it. So that's kind of how I thought I'd approach it. Looking at this, I'm trying to see what my time is. Ooh, I'm up. So I don't think I'm going to mention, um, I'll just let you guys go through. There's a lot we didn't cover, um, including our trustworthy statement that you'll probably have a good discussion with. And um, I'm just encouraging you, as you go to your time together, ask the Lord, like Paul told Timothy, Lord, give us understanding. Open our eyes to what you're saying here in your word and show us how we together, as all those who call on the Lord, can pursue right living and faith and love and peace. Thanks for your time here now. God bless you. I'll, I'll go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we do love you so much, and we thank you that you are a God who stepped into our lives and opened our eyes and brought us clarity, and that you're still doing it for us, that we uh, so often get our eyes off of you and trying to make everybody else happy, or we get into something that just takes our eyes from you, whatever it is. And you very gently, but very uh, surely, <laughs> draw our face back to yours to look into your eyes where we do see love and pleasure and acceptance but we also know lord that you are our hope and so as we're in this world and as we encourage each other in this study today i do pray father that you would be pleased that because we love you we want to please you we pray that you would be lifted up and magnified that it wouldn't be about us in any way but about you. Show us how to walk in a way that is really worthy of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.